morning, everyone. They, they don't let me switch my microphone on at my church, so uh, I'm not used to that. But can we say thank you one more time to our veterans that have served us this way? Thank you so much. Thank you. Amen. Yes. Please sit down. Wow. So encouraging. Uh, It's been a wonderful welcome in Texas. My first mission trip uh, was to Dallas, Texas in 1980. Uh, I'd just been a Christian for a couple of years, and the Lord led us there, and uh, fallen in love with this state and the people here. It's always such a warm welcome. I hear it's one of the greatest nations on earth. Is that right, Texas? (laughs) And uh, anyway, I was was on the flight from Atlanta yesterday afternoon, and uh, spoke to a lady there on the plane, and I was asking her about Austin, you know, so I could be like really cutting edge and, and relevant. And so I've been learning all about Austin, and basically she told me that y'all is very weird or something like that. It's, I, I know I got that deliberately wrong there, but, uh, but uh, you don't look weird to me at all. Uh, you look just like uh, everybody in uh, Atlanta. So I'm uh, glad to see you. Thank you for your warm welcome and uh, just feel a spirit of kindness this weekend. I want to congratulate you on your new building. The cafe looks fantastic. I know that God's going to use it in a mighty way, and so I just want to congratulate you on that, and I know it's exciting to have this uh, conference taking place this week. Uh, I want to thank Danny for his wonderful welcome and for your friendship, Danny. Danny and Ashley mean a great deal to us, and uh, my wife Louise appreciates you. She sends her love to you. But I know Danny is a, is a pastor and a friend. And you know, the ministry is a little different than it used to be. And so uh, it's been encouraging to share uh, so the tough times and the good times as well with each other. And uh, I tell you, it's a battle out there uh, very often. But I just thank you for your love for Danny and for Ashley and their family. I can really sense that love here this morning. And uh, you're onto a good thing with your pastor. Uh, he's one of the finest evangelists. I know wherever I'm out with Danny, he's always faster than me to try and share the gospel with somebody else. Uh, He's a great theologian. Uh, He's a dear friend. He's highly respected by so many of my friends as well. And uh, he's also a swimmer as well. I don't know if you know about that, but he's become quite a swimmer too. Uh, The other thing is that Danny started this podcast and uh, I've listened to every one of them, the last four that he's done, and I love the podcast. It's just like having Danny sat next to you and I'm out uh, Uh, running or something and listening to your pastor there. It's just like having a friend talking to me. So I appreciate him so much. So can we give God praise for your pastor, Danny Forshi? Praise God for him. That's a a great word on the election as well. Uh, We have two campuses at New Hope. There's a north campus, which is very diverse, and a south campus, which is just two miles from where they film The Walking Dead. And uh, yeah, I'm not into that either. But um, so uh, we've got quite a sort of diverse experience there, and so we need great wisdom in shepherding the flock of Jesus through this time. But I want to agree with you, Danny. God is sovereign, and we don't trust in princes or kings but our mission remains urgent, that is to make the name of Jesus known. And let me tell you, one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we give Him praise, everybody. You know something? I'm convinced that at the end of time, when we're gathered from the four winds of of the earth and all God's people are gathered together in heaven, I'm not sure that we're going to be discussing this election when we get to heaven. 
And, uh, and for that, I say glory, hallelujah. I want you to repeat after me. We are more than conquerors. And that's, we're going to go with a sense of optimism into this new day. I think a, a pastoral word that I've been using with church and posted on, on Twitter and stuff is um, from James 1, 19, everyone should be quick to what? Listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think that could be a good word for our time. Will you turn with me to Psalm chapter 40, one of my favorite passages of Scripture? I was asked the other day, what's your favorite passage? And to be honest with you, you know, I like it all. <laughs> but uh, I've never really sort of nailed it down. But, but someone asked me the other day, what's your favorite passage of Scripture? Well, certainly for me, Psalm 40 is where I've parked out a lot lately. So I'm certainly sharing from my heart today, sharing something that's really important to me. But of course, it's God's inspired word. I don't know if I was influenced by U2 in concert, the, the famous band in 1985 when they finished their concert singing Psalm 40. Maybe that influenced me as well, but we're going to read God's Word and ask that it'll speak to us. I'm reading from the NIV, and by the way, I've come to the stage in life where my current favorite Bible version is large print. <laughs> so uh, maybe some of you understand that as well. Okay, so Psalm 40, verse 1, everybody. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. I'd like to jump on to verse 5. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you've planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. And jumping on to verse 12 as well. You may really relate to this verse. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to begin by saying today I'm thankful that God has put a new song in my heart. And the first thing I want to say about Psalm 40, diving straight in, is that uh, I see my salvation testimony here in Psalm 40, particularly those first verse 1, 2, and 3. I see my own story that I was in the mud and the mire, and Jesus Christ lifted me out, put my feet on a rock, and put a new song in, in my heart. And I'm thankful that I stand to you this day. The only thing I can, can claim is that I know Jesus Christ by His grace, and that's the greatest thing you can ever know. Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, while we were still powerless, God took hold of us in Christ. Christ died for us. I believe that He reached down and, and pick me up, and he picked you up if you're a follower of Jesus Christ as well. And I want to ask straight away, do you know what it is to be saved and to have the new song within you? You know, um, I, I grew up in the UK where basically none of my friends were Christians. None of my family went to church. And to be honest, church was a bit of a joke. Uh, we'd never actually gone along to a church where they preached Jesus Christ. It was all a little dull and boring. They took us along midweek sometimes to sing uh, some songs in, in school. Uh, we had religious instruction every day. So I read the Bible, and I appreciated the Bible. I respected Jesus. I thought He was special. I knew that God was holy. And I sensed... Um, 
alienation from God. Though I was just like my friends, I don't think I was any worse than them. Uh, I kind of thought I was a Christian because I was British. But, but I had this sense that I just didn't know God. Now, my grandfather was a famous rugby player in his day. Rugby is the national sport of Wales. And he was, I guess, like the quarterback. He was called the outside half. And he was my hero. I loved my grandpa. And we would go and watch the games together. And he would introduce me to um, the, the famous players of the day. And to me, sports was everything. I wanted to play cricket for England and rugby for Wales. And uh, I'm still holding out my hopes for, for that as, as well. But uh, sports was everything to me, and, uh, and Sunday was the day that I played rugby. And I'd usually come back, I was a little fella, so I'd always kind of get beaten up, and I'd have a black eye and everything. But Sunday was about sports. Um, I thought Sunday was a special day as well, but church wasn't really an option. And then one day, a punk rocker uh, called Al, he was like the worst behaved kid in my school. He was always into trouble. He would deliberately smash things up in America. He probably would have been put away in prison, but they're very lenient in the UK. And I thank God for that for my friend Al, because uh, he led me to Jesus. He came to know the Lord. Uh, Someone explained to him that he was a sinner who was separated from God. He needed to ask Jesus into his heart and to be born again. And like I said, I thought I was a Christian. I thought that Al the punk was the bad guy. I'd known him since he was six years old. And he said, Reese, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And you know what? I knew he was right. I knew that was exactly right. He showed me chapter and verse. Uh, His his was kind of a pretty direct form of evangelism. But he wasn't rude. He, he, He cared for me. So he told me the truth. And he explained that Jesus bridges the gap that has separated me from God. And I thought... Now that makes sense. I remember asking for many years, you know, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? And people would say, he died for us. I'm thinking, well, that doesn't really make sense that he just died for us. When Al explained that I was a sinner and I was separated from God and I would spend eternity without God, but that I needed Jesus. Now that made sense to me. But I didn't just come to know Jesus because I was afraid of going to hell. I came to know Jesus because I knew he was real and I wanted to know him. And so straight away, as soon as he told me, Within a minute, I was praying a sinner's prayer. Al led me in this simple prayer that I prayed, which was basically, God, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. Please forgive me for my sins. I repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. And then I asked the Holy Spirit to come into my life. And let me tell you, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I've been through many dangers, toils, and snares. I can assure you since then, lots of crazy things have happened to me. But I thank God that I see my salvation testimony. And if you're thankful that God reached down and lifted you up out of that miry pit, would you give him praise one more time, everybody? What a great thing. Praise his name. So I see in Psalm 40 here my salvation testimony, but it's also my Christian life experience as well, because since coming to know Jesus, I've already said, there have been lots of difficult times. You know, just one month later, um, a young boy ended up hearing something that he, I would never wish on any other boy to hear, and that is, I'm afraid, as my mom saying to me, I'm afraid that daddy's dead. And then this was like 30 days after asking Jesus into my life. And over the next few days, in those days, it was like whispers, and I I knew something was going on. I found out that my father had taken his own life. And uh, I I just want to speak that today. And I always share this testimony extremely carefully because that's such a delicate thing to say. Um, but, But I do know that there are others in this room today, the law of averages suggests, and you are one of those left behind. 
And those of us who are left behind, we don't form movements. We don't march on the streets with banners or anything. We just kind of keep quiet about it. But we know that suicide never ends the pain. It merely passes it on to those who are left behind. And uh, we don't often talk about this. You won't often hear about this. But I know that there's at least a million of us in this nation. And I just want to express my love to you today and, and encourage you that if you can know God as your heavenly Father, then you'll never be alone. And He can lift us out of the mire. He's lifted me also up 30 days later, he lifted me out of the miry pit. He uh, put my feet on a rock, and that new song is still strong. And I just thank God for his goodness and faithfulness to me. Um, when we were called to leave the UK, I love my country. Um, never dreamed that we would be anywhere else, but we were certainly in a, in a partnership with New Hope Baptist Church when I was in Brighton, just south of London. We had a great church. We were growing. Uh, we were very happy there. We, we lived 500 yards from the seafront. Paul McCartney was our neighbor. I would see him occasionally. That, I thought that was pretty cool. I thought you might like that one. And uh, we, we had the hills just uh, 10 minutes away. Uh, I know, Austin, you love the hills as well. And so, uh, you know, we were very blessed, but we were in partnership with this church. The senior pastor, John Avant, left, and the church had been looking for a pastor for about six months, and uh, so I guess I could say they, they tried all of America, couldn't find any pastors uh, in America, and finally they gave us the invitation. We said no, and then we said, okay, we will pray about it, and suddenly we were immigrants. We had to come over here, and though we, we were treated with great love and respect by our church, when you come from another culture, that's not always easy. When you're sat in that social security office and you're trying to explain why, why you're there, it can be quite a humbling experience. In fact, people still, even though I think I speak English, a lot of people don't really understand me at all in Texas. And so, uh, you know, they, what would you like to drink? I say, water. They say, what? I say, water. They say, oh, water, water. And so, so I'm sorry, I just can't bring myself to, to pronounce it quite that way. But my girls, by the way, they've become bilingual. They're awesome. They can switch it on either way. And so sometimes it is a little bit weird, and sometimes we feel like we're, we're strangers in a strange land. But I thank God because we never feel more at home than when we are with the people of Jesus Christ, and that includes you today. Church life, being a pastor, that gives you the best of times and the worst of times. Amen? And you know that when it's going well, everybody's happy, and we're, we're praising God. And then there are some tough times as well. And it's pretty crazy trying to be a Christian in America in 2016. But I just want to say that my salvation testimony is that God has lifted me. And my Christian life testimony is that though I often find myself in the mud and the mire, nonetheless, He has lifted me. He put my feet on a rock. He's put a new song in my heart. One more time, should we praise Him? Because He does that for us. He does that for us all the time. So, so as we open up the passage, my first point this morning is pretty obvious. God lifts us out of trouble. He lifts us out through salvation. He lifts us out through just the way that He cares for us and helps us through the tough times. God lifts us out. You know, Psalm 40 is, of course, a psalm of David. I like to call it like a, laugh, a life raft or a lifeboat psalm because it's a psalm of rescue. We were in trouble, and God lifts us up. Now tell me, let me ask you the question, who wrote this psalm, everybody? Yeah, it's really an obvious, come on, tell me a bit louder, I want to hear you. Who wrote the psalm? David. David wrote it. So when you think about the stories of David, what do you think about? Well, I, I like to think about David and Goliath, one of the first stories that we know about. I love that story. 
from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the other day, uh, last month, I was in the Middle East for 10 days, and we went to five different nations, but we had the, the privilege of being able to stop off in Israel. I'd done the tour once before, and so been to many of the places, but this was four days where we just wanted to go off the beaten track and explore a bit. We were filming, and we were praying as well. It was like just a, mainly a prayer trip with a little bit of filming along the way. And I really wanted to go to the Valley of Elah, where David met with Goliath. And it's not one of those places that usually shows up uh, on those tourist trips or, or those uh, pilgrimage vision trips. So we looked up the, the GPS, and we wanted to find the Valley of Elah where David fought Goliath. And basically, we parked on this bridge, and we leapt over a fence, and we ran through the edge of, of a field, ignored the military installation just to our left over there, pointed the cameras in the other direction, and we got down to a brook, which was the brook. Uh, we don't know exactly, of course, where, because it's quite a long valley, but that was the brook from where David picked five smooth stones. And so uh, you, you can imagine a bunch of guys there. We got hold of loads of those stones, and we were, we were getting excited about this, and so we got hold of one of them, and we, we wanted to sort of feel the action. There was, there was a bit of rock, so we, we all threw a stone as hard as we could into the rock to imagine what the crack was like when the stone hit Goliath in the forehead. Yeah. I thought you'd like that, by the way. So, uh, I mean... I mean, you're Americans, right? You like a, little bit of, like a little bit of violence along the way. So I thought I'd sort of play to the crowd this morning there. So uh, all kidding aside there. But no, we were just trying to enter into the spirit of the battle there. And we were, were reminded that actually it wasn't by David's military ability, though he had skills that God gave him. It was all about the battle being the Lord's, amen. And so when I think of David's rescue, I think first of all, that uh, he was rescued and he was lifted up in the way that this military machine, Goliath, was defeated. And may God get all the glory. You know, we went to a place called En Gedi. You might have heard of that as well. It's usually one of the tourist stop-off points. And we'd stopped there before, but we'd never sort of ventured into the wilderness there. The Bible talks about this place that is called the Crag of the Goats. And so we wanted to just kind of go, go a little bit inland and explore a bit. And we found some of the streams where... David may well have been refreshed as he hid from Saul. It reminded me that once again, the Lord lifted David up when Saul was at times just minutes away from getting hold of him and his life ending. This, this man, one day Jesus will be called the son of David. This man was so integral in God's uh, historic move, and we know that this was all jeopardized by Saul. And then I'm thinking of David when we were in Jerusalem. We stood over a point over the Kidron Valley, Gethsemane was in front of us, and right down there was the monument that Absalom built to himself. What a crazy thing to do, to build a monument to himself. Absalom, one of David's son, ended up, ended up filled with bitterness and resentment, and by the grace of God, God lifted David up from that miry pit as well. You know, those are just some examples of the way that David was lifted up. We don't know exactly what the story is behind the reading and the writing of this psalm, but what we do know is that throughout his life, David was lifted up. And let me tell you, friends, you've been through those trials of, as well, haven't you? Church can be like that as well. We go through all those attacks from the enemy, but let me assure you that if God was faithful to you the fifth time and the sixth time and the seventh time, He's going to be faithful to us the eighth time as well. Amen. God's going to lift us up. Amen. Let's give Him praise. So what I see here is that David lives in my world, 
and in your world. There are days of trouble, there are difficulties, but He has lifted us up. And it reminds me also that Jesus went down in the pit at Caiaphas's house, was hung on a cross, was placed in a tomb, but three days later He rose again from the dead. This psalm is a waiting psalm. The deliverance has not yet come, but it's on its way. And sometimes waiting is the hardest thing to do. Do you agree with me? And so David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Um, One of our worship leaders at New Hope is called John Waller. Some of you may know that name. Uh, He sings the song, it's his career song, really, While I'm Waiting, that you might often hear on the radio. It's from that movie, uh, Fireproof. So next time you hear that, I'm waiting. I I won't do the whole song for you, okay? I'll just sing, sing one word for you there. But that's really John's testimony. His testimony was that he was waiting. And uh, what you do while you're waiting, the song concludes, I will worship while I'm waiting. Though I'm going through tough times, though I haven't got the answer yet, you know what? I'm going to keep praising God, even though uh, this waiting can be hard. Now, there's a number of clues here about what we should do while we're waiting. We should wait patiently. Most of the biggest mistakes I've made, I think, came from impatience, rushing ahead of God. We should pray. We should trust we should worship. But I think, friends, this passage is especially not so much about what we do, although we like to have, you know, four good points as to why, and I preach those messages too, Pastor Danny. I'd love to have four points about what to do while I'm waiting. But I tell you what, I think this passage tells us much more about what God does while we're waiting, about what God does when we're in those difficult times. And so let's look and see what God does in verse 2. He lifted me. He lifted me out. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. And I thought I'd just study and research this a little bit, and I found that mire basically means a lot of mud. It means an area of wet, soggy, muddy ground, a bog, deep, slimy soil or mud, a disadvantageous or difficult condition or situation. Have you been in those? A quagmire. And I believe we can move from the physical to the spiritual application, sometimes it just feels like we are in a quagmire. The mire of Goliath, intimidation and oppression. The mire of Saul, jealousy and irrational accusation. The mire of the Philistines, paganism, godlessness all around. The mire of conflict, Absalom, family resentment and long-standing bitterness that's hard to overcome. I think you'll agree with me that America is in the mire, and I get mired in my life as well. David is surrounded and dragged down. You know, I I can't help but thinking of the picture of a place called Abavan. Almost exactly 50 years ago, November 1966, the village of Abavan in South Wales, a mining community, the children went to school that morning, and it was nine o'clock in the morning. They were all there, and a coal slurry that had built up through the years that had, was soaked with uh, endless rain began to slip down the hill and rush down the hill. And that morning, 116 children were killed and uh, 24 adults as well. And uh, one of the, the greatest tragedies that I think has, has happened in, in Wales before. And I've uh, been there many times. We've prayed uh, at that place. 
uh, ministered even at, at that very school. The Queen has visited. Prince Charles has been there this year. This year, the Welsh rugby team, the soccer team, those soccer fans will know Gareth Bale, place of Real Madrid. They've all been there just to pay their respects, and it's a place that's shrouded with sorrow. But I tell you what, we go there with optimism as well, though an entire community was mired and uh, generations of hearts were broken, and a wave of grief was over the entire community. Imagine when all the children in the village are killed, except a few. What that does to a community. I just want to declare that we've seen God do great things, and we've seen God answer prayers, and we believe that God will lift that community up out of the mire and out of the slimy pit. And I believe He'll do that in the UK, where we're starting to hear signs of the church growing, especially in the cities. We're hearing signs of a uh, hundred-year spiritual decline starting to turn around. They've still got lots of problems, but let me tell you something. We've been praying for the UK, and we're seeing God do some amazing things. America, we've been in a spiritual decline for some time. It feels like we've been shrouded by the mud and the mire, but the Scripture promises us that the Lord will lift us up out of trouble just as He raised Jesus from the dead. I want to apply that to our own lives. Max Lucado wrote this, your boss asks you to clear your desk, fears rise. Wait a second, I'm still God's child. These days are a vapor and this will pass. Or your fiance wants his engagement ring, ring back. All those promises and the proposal melted the day he met the new girl at work, the jerk, the pond scum. But choose instead to ponder your destiny. It's not easy, but you're God's child. My life is more than a broken heart. God won't break His promise. Yes, Lord, another victory for God. And churches can face the mire as well. A church is hit with an 80-year flood, or the spiritual life of a nation hits a 30-year low, or the weather wrecks a big ministry weekend. A troublemaker walks in, a friend walks out, a leader won't let go, a volunteer does let go, just no replacement, a prayer warrior goes to glory. Every time we get a little bit of news like that, our hearts can get discouraged, we can be filled with fear. Do you agree with me? If so, just say yes, Reese. Those fears come all over us, but the second thing I want to say is that God makes our life secure. Because He lifts us out of the mud and mire, He's not just going to kind of leave us dirty just having been you know, sucked out of the mud and the mire, He's actually going to put our feet in a secure place. He set my feet on a rock. Will you say that with me, everyone? He set my feet on a rock. What a contrast between the mud and the mire. Perhaps the Dead Sea with all its sludge and mud can be contrasted with the rock that is not far away and the rock that Jerusalem is built on. David's fortress Jerusalem was built on a rock. He loved to say, the Lord is my rock. Let me encourage you that when God lifts us out, He puts us in a secure position. I need to remember that. Because when those fears are all around, when the discouragement sets in, when the devil attacks, it's easy to feel, oh no, I've been lifted out, but I'm just going to get dragged down again into that mire, into that mud. Do you feel that sometimes? But the psalm is so relevant for us. It just reminds us that God places our feet on a secure place. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. We're putting our trust in Jesus. Amen, Great Hills.
hey, this is just like being at home. I see God's people. You love his word. You love the Bible. You're living in the same crazy world. Sometimes it feels like you're clinging on by your fingernails, but let me tell you, you're not clinging on by your fingernails. Christ is holding on to you. You and I are, are, are precious in a trusted position. Amen. Third thing I want to say is that God transforms my message. You see, when I'm discouraged, I can speak out that discouragement, and you probably attempted to do the same sometimes, and we can end up with negative thinking. But if God has truly lifted us out of the mud and the mire, if He truly has placed our feet on a firm foundation in Jesus Christ, if that really is the case, then there's a need for our message to be transformed. If Christ really is our rock, if we really do believe him in our heart of hearts, if I really do believe that he saved me, that 14-year-old led to Christ by the punk rocker, if re- Jesus really gives me eternal life and keeps me from hell, that's going to transform my message. And that's what happened to me when I came to know Jesus. I didn't realize that we were supposed to be nervous about sharing our faith. I, I never went to the class that said uh, evangelism is a really difficult thing and Christians are nervous about that. You see, I just believed that if you didn't know Jesus, you're going to hell. And so we should tell all our friends, like the punk told me, I, I was going to hell. I thought that's how you're supposed to do evangelism all the time. So we would go into the school and we saw 40 or 50 of our friends come to know Christ over the next few months. Say, hey, God can use naive young men sometimes. And I think the apostles had that same spirit, amen, that they, they were like, Jesus is the only way, so we better go and tell everybody. I think sometimes the reason we're nervous about evangelism or sharing our faith is that we don't really believe that people are lost without Christ. Or maybe we do, but we've just put that in a, in a part of our world that is separate from everybody else. And so when I came to know Jesus in my salvation testimony, he put a new song in my mouth. And so we thought, well, how can we communicate the gospel in a relevant way? So we, we kind of formed this punk band called the Neutrons. We weren't good, but we were loud. <laughs> and uh, we thought, well, if we just kind of made a noise, we can, we can present the gospel uh, to our friends. And then we kind of, we modified our musical style a little bit. We realized that sometimes our church folks got a bit freaked out by this. So, um, we modified our style a little bit, but we sang about Jesus, and we would sometimes, we, would, we asked the teacher, hey, can we do school assembly? And they were like, none of the teachers wanted to do it because none of them were saved, so they said, sure, you can do school assembly. So every week, we would present the gospel to the entire school. It was awesome. Now, now one day, we were hauled before the headmaster, and we thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble now. And he, he just gave us counsel to be wise and, and to be sensitive, and then he said, but carry on. And so God just gave us an open door to be able to share Jesus. Uh, And I'll I'll tell you this, this may may amaze you, there's more freedom to share Christ in the schools in the UK than there is in America by far. And so I'd I'd encourage you, do mission trips. If you want to preach the gospel to lots of people, go and do mission trips in the UK. And so I thank God for the favor that he gave us then and continues to give us when we go back to Wales. We've been able to preach the gospel to over 120,000 people in Wales in the last 20 years. Can we give God praise for that, everybody? And so... One of the things I love doing is to invite people to give their life to Christ, and I've seen your pastor do this. He just loves to do this as well, and uh, I I would appreciate your prayers because we do this thing called the Living Christmas Tree. You might have heard of that in New Hope, and we get about 12,000 people come every year, and someone in our church prayed, Lord, can we see a 1,000 people give their lives to Christ? That was last year. 
and, and we'd seen the numbers grow of people giving our lives to Christ. We've tried to keep this whole thing fresh and innovative and everything. And we've seen hundreds, but, but never a thousand. And so we said, Lord, if you want to do this, it's way more than we've ever, ever seen. This year we saw 1,017 people give their lives to Christ at the Living Christmas Tree. Can we praise His name for that? So I think I'm at my best when I remember the boy that got saved and lost his dad, who trusted Christ, who boldly went into the corridors of the school and, and did whatever we could to make Christ known. I think that's when I'm, when I'm at my best, when I'm trusting Him and stepping out and being a touch naive and innocent about the whole thing and just doing it anyway and, and, and sharing Christ. I think I'm at my best when I'm just trusting God for the unexpected and to say, God, you can do miracles in our church. You can do miracles in our land. And when I pray naively, even though it looks like the world is against us, when I pray those big prayers, I'm just amazed what God does. Uh, God has given me a message, and I know He's given you that message as well. He's transformed that message. I think part of that message is not just sharing Christ, but it's worship as well. And by the way, it's, it's, uh, I sense God's presence in your worship today, and I thank God for Terry, uh, your worship leader. Can we give God praise for Terry and all the team, everybody that serves here? Thank you. And I know, you know, in Britain, they, you might have noticed we love music from the UK as well. We've had the Beatles and Adele. I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? And even One Direction for the young folks, you know. So, you know, we, uh, you know I, I love music too. And the city that I used to be in um, was famous for the songs that, that were written. In fact, just in one church, they had Matt Redman. They had um, Stuart Townend, who wrote the song In Christ Alone. Um, they had uh, quite a few others, Delirious, uh, Martin Smith, some of you might know that, were, were from that, that locality as well. But um, a friend of mine called Paul Oakley was one of the worship leaders in this church, and uh, he would sometimes train our band at Holland Road Baptist Church. And you know, like I say, I love music, I love the sound, and we can end up getting sometimes a little picky about music. But Paul one day was, um, he was going to lead worship at his church that morning, and the, the day before, one of his children had a party. And... Uh, Time had rushed on, and it was a little late in the evening, and Paul was not properly prepared for the worship. Now, in Britain, they, they organize the worship in a different way. In America, we've kind of got it all signed and sealed by Friday afternoon, definitely, and that's for the week afterwards. Well, in the UK, they're a little bit more casual about it, but he was a great worship leader, had a great band. And so we thought, oh, no, I've got to lead worship. And so professional musician. So he said, I went to my books, and I started trying to choose songs for the next morning. And then he, he couldn't get anything. He didn't feel like any one of the songs was right. And then he started coming under conviction. He realized that he wasn't focusing on Christ. He was focusing on the song rather than the new song that's supposed to be within us. And so he just surrendered to God. He said, Lord, I'm really sorry about this. I focused on the song rather than the new song. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not about the song. It's not about the style. It's not about our preference. It's about the new song in my heart. Amen. And frankly, it doesn't matter what you sing. Amen? It's really about what's... Thank you for the woo, whoever said that. It's, uh, it's actually what's in our heart. Anyway, so late that Saturday night, Paul just started... He said, I'm just going to have to worship God. He got out his guitar just started singing. And this is what he came up with. Jesus, lover of my soul, all-consuming fire is in your gaze. Jesus, I want you to know I will follow you all my days. For no one else in history is like you. History itself belongs to you. 
Alpha and Omega, you have loved me. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. And I think sometimes in church life, we, we fall into two camps. We either kind of chase tornadoes. We want to be at the religious hotspot. We want, have you been to that place? Have you seen that thing? I tell you, in Atlanta, like, have you been to Passion? Have you been to this church? Have you been to... And we can be like chasing tornadoes, looking like for the next high. Or maybe we come on the other camp and it's almost like, no, I don't want anything. And we remember things as, as they were. And we sometimes kind of fall into those two different camps. But really, it's about the new song, which I really think means it's about a fresh touch. Amen. And, and I, I just thank God for our music minister at New Hope. He runs the music for both campuses. And it's like, we, we have people at the North Campus that love gospel, people that love passion, people that love the hymns, people that love... I'd never heard of Southern Gospel till I came to America. Have you heard of that as well? And it's like, we can, we can just... We love our tribe. And I'm sure the, the music ministries, will we try, and, we try and recognize that? But it's not about that, amen? It's about the fresh touch, about the new song. Give me an amen if you agree with me. It's all about you, Jesus. All this is for you, for your glory and for your fame. And let's, let's continue to be, but let's step into being a church that says, to God be the glory, great things he has done. It's all about you, Jesus. We're going to worship and adore you. I encourage you men, sing to the Lord. Let your children see you sing. Let, let them see you engage in worship. And, and uh, there's a song called um, Praise Will Ever Be On My Lips. Do you know that song? Your praise will ever be on my lips. It's almost like, yeah, it's not going to be on my lips. No, not going to be on my lips, but no, let the praise be on your lips. Sing to the Lord a new song. It's biblical. It's in the Bible. Amen. Oops. Final thing I want to say is that God saves others through my testimony. Verse 3, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. When you've got a new song, that is our mission. And our new song is worship. Our new song is declaration who Jesus Christ is, and it affects others and blesses others. And I pray that this church will be used in a mighty way to reach many, many people for Jesus Christ. So, church, I want to encourage you today. I hope you can see your own story here in Psalm 40. I hope you can see your salvation testimony. But if you don't know that, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I know that this is preached every week in this church, and it's preached in my church too. I encourage you. Allow the Lord to lift you up by believing in Christ. Allow the Lord to put your feet on the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. Allow him to put a new song in your heart and let Jesus Christ be everything. This psalm encourages me, but it also encourages me because no matter what I face, whether it's immigration, living in a different culture, whether it's losing my dad, as I just told you about, whether it's just the daily challenges of being a, a citizen, and yeah, I'm a citizen now, or whether it's the daily challenges of being a pastor, a dad, or even a granddad and a husband, let me tell you something, that though I sometimes feel like I'm right down in the mud and the mire, he lifted me up, put my feet on a rock, and he gave me a new song. May God bless us with a new song today. Let's pray together, everybody. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for David. And above all, we thank you for the son of David, who though he was taken down to the grave, yet, Lord, you raised him to life. We thank you that along that journey, 
Jesus bled and died on the cross to seal my pardon. We thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who saves us from hell, the one who saves us from ourself, the one who saves us from Satan. And Jesus, we're crying out to you today to save us and to lift us up and to bless Austin, Texas, to bless Great Hills Baptist Church this very day. Lord, we love you, we worship and adore you, and we pray that you'll put that new song in our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.